Uh, I was on a great vacation for the past few weeks. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend where I went. Um, the, the tourist brochure on it was uh, a little deceiving. Um, uh, it is great to be back with you. And thank you, worship team, for blessing us with that. And there's just, there's just no replacing being able to be together and sing together and let the Spirit of the Lord work in our hearts together. Um, I was sharing with the worship team as we prayed for the service this morning the uh, opportunity I had the past two weeks to watch our service live online. And it kind of dawned on me, I've never done that. And there's probably good reason why, but, um, but it just was fascinating. Uh, it was great to be able to connect. And, and I want to say thank you to Max and to Brad for standing in the gap. And you both did a wonderful job and the worship team. And, uh, but there is nothing that replaces being together. So today, I just encourage you, experience God. Experience him in a personal way that he promises to engage with you, but also experience in a corporate manner uh, as we endeavor to go back into the Word of God today and look at this idea of excuse entropy. This is where I left off on May 2nd, and uh, I gave you a lot of information about what is sin and why is sin important. Remember, this sermon series is PJ's Priority Passages. And if I had 10 sermons and only 10 sermons that I could preach, what would those be? Uh, and, and so I kind of assimilated a, 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 an aggregate of those things that I think help us arrive at, at this next passage, which is one of our key verses here under the idea of equipping, out of Colossians 1.28, where Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I, I had a lot of time to read over the past few weeks, and a lot of what I've been reading probably has something to do with uh, the current landscape of our country, and how that affects the church. And there seems to be this groundswell movement within the churches to get back to orthodoxy, to get back to the basics and the importance of the gospel. Because what many churches have done, and I'll be revisiting this briefly, what many churches have done, and in a certain sense, have been forced to do because of how we've changed church into a consumer mentality is that they have adopted and adapted to what I affectionately or pejoratively refer to as the show. And they are compelled to do the show bigger and better to get more people in and more people in. And the swing of that pendulum is that we have lost our way. We have sacrificed deep, mature believers for the sake of the show and to put people into seats. 
That haunts me because the idea that Scripture gives us and paints for us that what we have waiting is a beauty beyond all measure, but that there is a reckoning that happens when we stand before the Lord. Now, this sermon today is going to be received probably a little bit better than May 2nd, but many places, and I don't know what the reason is today, this is the lowest attendance since I've been your pastor, um, we can blame it on COVID. I'm going to talk a little bit about COVID today. It's near and dear to my heart, or I should say my lungs. Um, that there is a lack of spiritual depth within the church. We have traded in mature believers for entertained believers. And I have great hope. I have great hope that what's happening is that the leaders of churches are seeing the problems with that. And they're seeing what's happening in our world today. Brothers and sisters, do we have the answers to all the things pertaining to life and godliness? Do we have those answers? I, I, I hope. I hope you believe the answer to that is yes. And so today, the, the challenge I have is this. As I was on week 18 of my bout with COVID, <laughs> you need to, she's up for sainthood, my wife is, uh, because she had to deal with me. And I was locked into our, whatever it is, 12 by 12 bedroom for two weeks. And I don't make a very good patient. Um, and, and so we were both in, just to show you that marriages can thrive, we were locked in there together for two weeks and we still are sitting next to each other in the front row. It's, it's, we still want to be around each other. Amen. Here's what started to happen a week ago. There was no improvement. And in 2018, I had a really bad bout with pneumonia precondition, right? And so in my mind, I can feel it building up in this cough and, and all of this stuff, and it's starting to go down into my chest, and, and yet I hadn't ever talked to a doctor. Nothing had been prescribed. I'm just laying in bed, drinking water, and my wife gave me, I don't know what it was, there were like 18 different pills I was taking, and uh, the crazy thing is, by last Saturday, I started thinking, so why am I just sitting here? Why am I just accepting how I feel without talking to a doctor and doing something about this? Right? Because we've heard the stories about people who wait too long and then they get there and it's too late. Do you see the spiritual metaphor? I can't be your physical doctor, and based off of what happened to me the past two weeks, you probably don't want to hire me. But I can be your spiritual doctor. And when we have the effects of sin that steal, kill, and destroy, and they affect every aspect of our life, do you see the importance of this subject? 
And it affects everybody. You know, the frustrating thing to me is, you know, we went to such great lengths, right? We're all wearing masks, spent a lot of money on this incredible filtration system. <laughs> and yet on May 2nd, and we don't know that this necessarily happened here, but multiple people ended up contracting COVID from our church. And so what happens in my world is that pastors are talking about, you know, well, what are you doing? What have you chosen to do? What have you not chosen to do? And, and how does that look? And why are you choosing this pathway or that pathway? Our leadership has made every effort we could to care for and protect our people. And yet we still ended up with six or seven people that contracted this. So the fascinating thing is that there will be those who will label this church as irresponsible because they heard that the pastor and his wife and several other people got COVID. We will now be stigmatized. Maybe that's why there are so few people in these seats today. I don't know. That's up to the Lord. But what I can do is draw some similarities for you about sin. And one of the descriptors that I showed you that, that we always struggle with about sin is what's termed or, or known as original sin. Now, I can do everything possible to make sure that I'm masked up, I'm eating well, I'm keeping my distance, right? But I still got COVID. I would say that's unfair. I've spent all these hours giving up particular engagements and, and my life was rerouted so that this wouldn't happen and yet I still got it. That's not fair. Brothers and sisters, that's how original sin is. Is that before we ever make a parabasis choice to willfully choose against the righteousness of God, we've already experienced in our hearts original sin. Now we may say, we may look at that and say, well, that's not fair, but the reality is just like COVID and all the things that we did to protect, people here still contracted it. So where does that leave us with sin? The reality is, can you get what you need to treat sin? As I'm sitting in bed last Saturday and I'm so frustrated because I haven't even talked to a doctor, and, and what's fascinating is once, once people know, you know I, I get this long litany of information about, you need to take this, you need to take that, you need to drink this, you need to drink that, and, and, and all this information. And so everybody's got their solutions. Brothers and sisters, the solution for sin is listed in Scripture. And it's so desperately important. Here we have a worldwide pandemic that's affected so many people. And so it's changed our focus. It's changed how we do things. It's changed our relationships. It's changed so much because we're worried about contracting this virus. Spiritually, are we worried about sin? We should be. 
Because it's not just this, this archaic word that represents things that make us feel guilty. You see, that's, again, a trick of the enemy is to nominalize what sin does and the effects of sin. When we want to deal with the reality of what sin does, it breaks up and destroys families, does it not? It creates a pathway for evil to change our society. It brings about bitterness and trauma within our lives. It brings about addiction. I could go on and on, I don't have time, but look at the ramifications of sin. Think about the hurts that you have. Think about the challenges and difficulties that you have. You can always trace it back to sin. Now, whether it was your sin or someone else's sin, that, that's something you need to think through and, and examine. But the reality is, it can always be traced back to sin. So when I left off on May 2nd, I had, I had given you kind of a... a a summarization of what is sin according to God. Because if we don't know what it is, right, as I, as I finally talked to a doctor on Saturday, I said, so what's the treatment here? Because I have this precondition of pneumonia and I'm told I will die from this now. I didn't say that. I didn't want to sound panicky. But, um, you know, when, you, when, you, when you've got this and you do have a precondition, and you're just supposed to stay at home, you start wondering, okay, at what point should I kind of be worried about this? And the doctor says, nope, there's nothing to really treat you with. And so I started thinking, well, wait a second, I know all these people that got treated by all these different things. But try running that by any doctor in the Bay Area, or most doctors in the Bay Area, where because of peer pressure, they would never recommend those things. Now, that's just my opinion but it was my experience. Same thing spiritually when it comes to sin. What we're about to embark on gives you the challenge, gives me the challenge to ask very important and succinct questions. Are we going to take this seriously? And when given the antidote, are we willing to take it? And the biggest challenge is in answering that, does it work? Does it work? So let's get into this and, and look, and, and let me guide you through Scripture this morning. And the first one we start off with is, let's go back to this idea that, that comes out of Genesis 4, where uh, God interacts with Cain. And he warns Cain, sin is at your doorstep. Sin is waiting at your doorstep, and it seeks to what? To rule over you. So be careful, Cain, pay attention. And yet he chose to ignore the, the spiritually medical advice, right, of the danger that was lurking to overtake him, and we know how the story ended. It ended tragically. Cain was given good advice. And so we, let's run with this idea of ruling over sin. The great news today, the best news I can give you is that Jesus already dealt with it. Amen? So we start there that Jesus has already vanquished over sin and death. So there isn't anything necessarily that, that is left to us per se to rule over sin and death. It's already been done. In other words, it would be like somebody actually giving me some medication 
I have to make the choice to go take it, but somebody's already done the work to figure out how to beat a, a, a disease, right? Does that translate for you? And so we start with the fact that Jesus has already dealt with it. Um, turn to Romans 8, and we're going to look at this real briefly. We're going to look at multiple scriptures today. But if we're going to look at this idea of how do we rule over sin, we've got to start with the fact that sin has already been defeated by Jesus Christ. So let's look at a reminder here in, in how to think through those challenges and the effects of sin. Verse 1 through 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sin brings guilt. Sin brings shame. Sin brings destruction. And yet what Paul is reminding us of here is that because of Jesus, there is no condemnation. Right? There's no con How many of us wish... That, that this could apply to regular things in life, right? Growing up or, or just whatever happened this week where maybe you made a mistake or maybe you made a bad choice and all of a sudden somebody walks up and they're, they're like, oh, hey, what you, you know, hey, ollie, ollie, oxen free, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You know, that works spiritually with sin in, in acquiescence or... or, or abdication of, of our, our soul over to the Father, but it doesn't necessarily work when it comes to the responsibilities of answering for our own choices with others and the ramifications with others. But there are moments where I wish I could claim this verse when I've made a bad choice when it comes to that destructive nature with others around me. But the beauty of it is, when it comes to my relationship with the Father and the propitiation for sin, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here's the evidence. Here's, here's how this works in context to bad treatments. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh." But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Is death. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit of, is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what Paul is reminding us of here is that when it comes to ruling over sin, it's already been ruled over, amen? It's already defeated. Now, I still have a choice, right, to walk up into an IC unit 
at a hospital and lick every tongue depressor that's been used on someone with COVID. Isn't that a visual? But I have that choice, do I not? God gives you and I the choice, the free will, even though sin, now watch this, be careful, even though sin has been defeated and ruled over by Christ, I have the choice to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit every day. So sometimes do you ever get, I don't take pills well. (laughs) Big pills, right? Horse pills. I call them like elephant pills. And you don't want to see this happen. Like if we ever want to have a contest out here and you want me to lose, let's just have a pill swallowing contest. So my wife gave me this like five pills I was taking every day. And it was a miracle if I could get this one particular, and she even cut it in half. And, and so I hated, when I saw those pills every day, I hated looking at them. And by, by I don't know, by day 10, I just stopped taking the big pill. Because I was saying, it, it doesn't work, it's not doing anything, and I hate taking it. How many of you are that way with medication? Right? I'm not going to the doctor. Doctors don't do anything. Right? I'm not taking that medication. It does nothing for me. I'm not. We are the same way spiritually sometimes, brothers and sisters, because we think we've got it, but we, we are not mature in Christ yet. We haven't really gotten a clear understanding of how to rule over sin. One, we understand sin has been defeated. Two, the Lord still gives us the free will to make a choice to walk in the flesh. I'm not taking pills. They're stupid. I can't handle the medication. It doesn't work anyway, right? Why would I choose to walk in the Spirit on any given day? Spend one day walking in the Spirit and you'll know the answer to that question. Amen? Get the right medication that works and eradicates your symptoms and you'll be committed to it. Our good friend Carl is back in the room and he's drumming and I forgot that I missed this. Carl always carries around throat lozenges. And you can see him up here in the different trays, and he just passes them out. Carl, I would imagine you pass them out because you believe in them, right? Or else you're invested in (laughs) one of those companies. And so he gave me one today, and I was like, oh, yeah, this would be great. And I forgot to take it before I got up here. But Carl believes in that because he's experienced how it changes something. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit, friends. Let's continue. Instructions for breakthroughs. So the first thing we have to start with is that Jesus has already done it. But here's our deal, okay? How do we rule over sin? Here's our deal. And and so we start with this idea of remember. Remember who you are. 2 Corinthians 5.17 helps us understand this. 
So the first thing that I've got to do is I've got to remember that Jesus Christ already did the work. But then for me, he gives me a, a pathway to spiritual health that if I make the right choices by walking in the Spirit, that will keep me from actively or passively participating in sin. Even though Jesus has condemned sin, it can still have an effect on my day-to-day life. So, we start with this idea, remember who you are. Right? The reason that I called a doctor finally last Saturday is I had been remembering all week that I have this precondition of pneumonia. And so it, it made me concerned. Brothers and sisters, spiritually, we need to remember who we are if we're going to rule over sin. We have the power of the Almighty. We have the power of the Spirit. We've been promised the opportunity that if we choose to focus, put our minds, set our minds on the Spirit of God, that we will walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 speaks to the ideas of of what it looks like to choose sin versus the fruits of the Spirit. Patience, peace, love, joy, right? So I've got to remember that I am a believer of Jesus Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm an adopted child of the Almighty, amen? When I choose that, that affects my choices. That that affects the pattern of how I choose to live out life. So think about this scripture where Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. There's some maturity in Christ. I am a new creation. How many of us have either said it of ourselves or we have heard from others that because of how we grew up, we have trauma in our life and it's manifested itself in destructive behavior. Self-destructive behavior. We hear that all the time in society, right? And I would say, yeah, sure, there, there, there's some reality, <coughs> realities to that. But what Paul is saying is that in Jesus Christ, you and I can be a new creation. Have you ever met someone who's gone through severe trauma, but they know Jesus Christ and they are a completely different person? What a beautiful statement on remembering who I am. I no longer have to be ruled over by sin. I can make the choice. He's given me that freedom, but I no longer have to. Right? Because towards the end, verse 8 says, those who do not know Christ cannot please God. You cannot experience that spirit of God. Today on the liturgical calendar, uh, it's, it's Pentecost, Sunday. The celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit. I pray that this is something in our lives that we see as spiritually paramount, right? So next is define. We need to define what sin is, right? As I'm sitting here trying to talk to a doctor, she wants me to define, as a matter of fact, as I... 
as I was ill, I, I was eating a bagel one morning and a tooth just fell out. One of my crowns just fell out. I, I looked like something straight out of hee-haw. It was ridiculous. I'm like, how bad can this get, Lord? And, uh, and so in my conference with this doctor, I, I didn't want to turn on my camera for, for my Zoom conference because I didn't want to, you know, Who, how are you doing, you know? And, and so she said, I need you to turn on your camera. And I'm all, oh, gosh. I'm like, why do you need me to turn on the camera? And she says, I need to see your breathing. Right? That as a doctor, she needs to be able to define what my symptoms are. If I went to a doctor and I was deathly ill, and they just looked at me and said, well, what part of the city do you live in? Uh, you know, I, I live in... <laughs> live in Brentwood. Oh, you live in Brentwood. Okay, take this. See you later. What? I'm not going to go back to that doctor again, right? Spiritually, if we don't define what these sins are that we struggle with, how can we ever correct them? How can we ever get out from underneath the ugliness and the destructive nature of them. In your own life, think about those areas that you have unknowingly or unwittingly subjected yourself to the destructive nature of sin because you had no idea that that was going to lead to a sinful choice or a sinful pattern. But you ended up experiencing the consequences of it. Let's look at the passage listed here out of James, James 1, 14 through 15. This is just one passage that helps do this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So let's start there. When it comes to ruling over sin, we've got to remember who we are, right? If I can remember that I can live sin-free because of Jesus Christ, it changes everything, Two, I've got to define what the sin is. Well, how does that happen? How does it, it manifest itself? Where does this start? And how can I see the warning signs coming? Well, when I start to be tempted, right? Do you know when you're being tempted? When I start to be tempted, and then I start to be lured and enticed by desire. When I begin to be lured or enticed by desire my red flag warning system should go up. Okay? And then it says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to what? Sin. <coughs> so, brothers and sisters, part of the challenge that we face is looking at <coughs> all those areas in our lives where we give ourselves permission to dance as close to a line as possible. This is where the eventuality of the destructive nature of sin takes over. The challenge for me is if I know I can place myself in a position that will cause me to sin based off of history, remembering who I am, right? Then one of the best things that I can do is avoid any situation and walking in that situation, even though I have the freedom to do that, 
Maybe it's a scenario where based off of past events, past moments, past choices, that the temptation is too great for me. That the desire wells up within me that goes beyond my ability to handle and continue to walk in the spirit versus walk in the flesh. I've got to define those areas. Does that make sense? So let's start by remembering who we are because that sets a good, solid platform, a spiritually healthy platform. Second, I've got to start defining the ways that I get tempted. I've got to start defining the ways that evoke within my own fleshly desire a choice to move into sin. And if I do those things, it's like preventative medicine, right? If I choose to do those things, then I've established an a solid foundation, a mature foundation. Next, excuse. Excuse, right? Our deal, I don't know if you guys have picked up on that yet, the alliteration. It's a, actually, it's not an alliteration. It's, a, it's an acronym or acrostic. Or it's, it's one of those grammatical things. So excuse. And I looked up the definition of excuse, and it's in verb and noun form, they're a little bit different, but it's this idea of understanding that there has been an offense, and you wanting to correct that offense, right? So when you suddenly move into a line and somebody else was waiting, and you never saw them, or you're trying to go through a door at the same time, and all of a sudden you realize you could offend someone, and you say, what? Yeah, I, I pretty much go with, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Hey, this is my spot. No, you say, excuse me, right? It is this, it's that same concept based off of what the meaning of the word is, is that we go before the Lord and we confess our what? We confess our sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So number one, we remember who we are in Christ Jesus and the fact that Jesus has made it possible to live outside of sin. If we walk in the Spirit, if we choose to set our minds on the Spirit, then our foundation is solid. Number two, we have to define what those temptation areas are and those sin areas so that we don't stumble down those areas again in our life and make ourselves susceptible to sin. Three, if the sin does in fact happen, we need to recognize and ask to be excused from that sin spiritually before the Lord. We need to confess that and name it. So much of the time, have you ever received an apology and, and the individual's like, hey, uh, man, I'm sorry I screwed up. We good? And, and, and for some people who are non-confrontational, that's fine. They, they, they're like, yeah, cool. No, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But if someone were to come to you and say, Hey, I need to talk. I think last Friday when we were sitting together 
at your house, I think I said something that was over the top rude. And knowing your background, I wasn't thinking in the moment, but knowing your background, I think I probably hurt you with those words. Is there any truth to that? Which one means more to you? Which one is complete? Which one really takes care of the offense? Right? The crazy thing about medication, especially antibiotics, my wife always reminds me because I'll get to, you know, two-thirds of the process and I'll say, this stuff isn't working. You guys ever do that? This is, this is ridiculous. I don't know why they ever, you know, prescribe this. And my wife always says, you have to take it every day, two times a day, and you have to finish it. You never finish your antibiotics. And I'm like, well, I'm saving it for next time when I get sick. Right? That doesn't really work. So when we go to confess our sins, brothers and sisters, the thing that happens so much of the time is that there's an aspect where we, we translate that as shaming and heaping guilt upon us. Can I encourage you? That's just another effort by the enemy to lie to you. There is a beauty to understand, yeah, man, I didn't do that right. I, I coached for years. And when I had a player that was struggling, I had a choice either to get, get into their, their thinking and to have a good, serious discussion and do some side training so that they understood next time in that same situation or a similar situation, they would know how to handle that so as not to make an egregious mistake that affected the whole team. But if I choose to do that, I choose to possibly offend my player, right? The player, why are you singling me out? Why, why are you bringing all this negativity towards me? Brothers and sisters, if we want to succeed as a team, if we want to run our race well, we have to be willing to recognize those areas and understand God's like that coach. And he understands the perfect way to handle those difficulties in life and the challenges of sin. And part of the process is owning the accountability of what have I done and how do I correct this. That's where I, like God speaking to Cain, that's where I can rule over sin. Zero tolerance towards brushing off an offense. Deal with the offense. Next, abandon. That's an interesting idea. Have you ever heard the idea of abandon when it comes to dealing with sin? I love this idea, and I have a passage listed, Galatians 5, 16 through 26, because it works better with the overall concept, but I would have you turn to Galatians 5, 1, kind of as a... Um, a very succinct idea how to deal with this. Galatians 5.1 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There are so many times when I end up hurting someone around me because I revert back to, I don't remember who I am. I'm careless, and I don't really approach it seriously to define why did I do this action 
I may have gone back and asked for forgiveness from someone around me. An outburst of anger maybe, right? And then a situation or scenario comes up again, and I do it again. And this is what Paul is saying here. Listen, because I didn't finish the whole concept. He says, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It would be the same thing as if I had shackles on me this past two weeks. I, I kind of did. And, and I'm stuck and isolated in the prison of my own room. I'll never look at my room the same way again. And then I choose to go out and lick a bunch of tongue depressors in the ICU at the local hospital. Why would I choose to put myself into that prison again? But Paul is saying, you and I were meant for freedom in Jesus Christ, but you continue to go back to the same things and put the shackles on again. This is where that Romans 8 passage matters, brothers and sisters, in, in closing. It's this idea that we can rule over sin, but it requires effort every single day to make choices, to set our mind on the things of the Spirit, not the flesh. Amen? So let's read the, the passage that I want you to see because it fits exactly with what I'm talking about here. Paul says later in Galatians 5, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This should be a resounding practice and discipline of ours if we want to be mature in Jesus Christ. This should be a, a, a daily discipline when we get up in the morning to prayerfully ask the Lord to guide us that we walk by the Spirit and not to gratify our own desires. I encourage you, practice that, and then share with individuals around you how your days are different. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be met or, or fraught with challenges, but your response and your attitude by the end of the day will be vastly different if you're walking by the Spirit. So abandon those sins that so easily entangle you. Hebrews chapter 12. Lastly, liberate. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. Here's a, here's a concept that kind of fits with abandon, but it's a little bit more specific. Fill your life with the pursuit of righteousness. Fill your life with the pursuit of righteousness. Have you ever had a computer that, that got full? The hard drive got full and you had to go through and, and erase things in order to be able to access more memory to be able to do new things. What was fascinating is last week we had uh, Pastor Max bring us a, uh, a message through Zoom. And through Zoom we recorded the message. At first it wouldn't do it because we had filled up our account and our recording time. So I had to go in last week from my prison and, uh, and delete out some of the old stuff. Like, you know, meeting notes. We didn't need that just checking. Apparently, we don't need meeting notes. Nobody could care less. Okay. Um, but we have these areas in our life that, as this passage and as Jesus speaks to, this is a key to being able to rule over sin. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. <laughs> this is our last point today. 
So Jesus is speaking as a parable, and it's referred to as return of the unclean spirit. Jesus says this, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. I believe this is one of the reasons the church is spiritually anemic, and that people have burnt out on church. is because somewhere they thought that their spiritual walk and their connection with God was all about us and what we're doing here this morning. This is a big part of it, and this is doing exactly what Jesus is talking about. You've chosen to be here today to worship the Lord corporately together. Hopefully, you can't sin in this room. Does that make sense? Hopefully, you have chosen to put yourself into a place where you are worshiping God. You can't do two things at the same time. You can't worship God and sin at the same time. And so by your very choice, you are practicing this idea of liberation. You've chosen to let go of those things that pull you away from God's righteousness, but you also chose to fill up this time with worship, which does what? Which fills you. What are you being filled with is ultimately this point. If I can rule over sin, part of what's expected Part of my deal, right, part of our deal is that we actively pursue righteousness and the more that we fill our lives with those acts of righteousness, the more we do not have the opportunity to what? Submit ourselves to the yoke of slavery of sin. Amen? So here's our deal. Hopefully this morning you've seen the value in walking through this, in how to deal with sin, how to rule over sin. It starts first with Jesus Christ, amen? He's already done it. But he gives us the free will and the choice or choices where we can end up submitting ourselves to the slavery and yoke of sin. Hopefully going through these ideas or concepts have helped you understand how to avoid the choices that lead to sin and death but lead to life and righteousness. Last week, I, or last week, two weeks ago, I had an illustration of a guitar, right? And five-sixths of that guitar was properly functioning. But it was that one-sixth part that was so bad that it made it untenable for us to sing. You see, before I got up here, I took the G string and I detuned it, just right? I made a choice. My choice and that action ruined the whole thing. Our choices with sin have an effect on us, have an effect on our families, have an effect on our churches. That's why this is so important. That's why this is a priority passage. Let me close in prayer. Lord God, we come to you this morning as those who seek your spirit 
and seek to walk in the holiness of your spirit. Help us to look at these ideas. I pray that that what was presented today gives hope, gives good instruction so that each of us can be presented mature in Christ. Lord, we ask that you use the word of God that went out today to encourage and lift up and to destroy the lie that sin cannot be ruled over. Help us to cling tightly to your righteousness and to truly seek after your spirit, God. We pray these things by the power of the gospel and the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.